Okay, you guys, I'm going to get started. And I'm going to be talking about dilemmas now. And I'll just introduce these and we'll go through some examples. And I'm going to show you how we can use them. And what we're going to do with dilemmas, you guys, the reason why they're so effective is because we can take a dilemma and we can focus on what the issue of debate is. And I'll show you how to do that. So what we're going to use a dilemma for is we're going to show that the atheist, that the only thing we're actually going to be debating when we're debating with an atheist is what is eternal. It's either the universe or it's God. And that's all we have to argue about. Okay? And then what we're going to do is we're going to use science, and we're going to all do this week six. I'm just introducing the, kind of the logic behind it. We're going to show through science that the universe cannot be eternal. Okay? So we're going to boil the issue down to just two possibilities and then rule one of them out. Okay? So that's where we're heading. But let me teach you about a dilemma. What is a dilemma? Well, dilemmas are something that force people to choose between two options and therefore make them realize the consequence of their ideas. Okay? Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use a dilemma from a famous mathematician slash philosopher named Blaise Pascal. Some of you know the name. Um, and if you guys recall, it's called Pascal's Wager. Has anybody ever heard of that? Yeah, well, that's what we're going to look at is an example dilemma. And I'm going to teach you what a dilemma is using that, okay? So here's his dilemma. This is Pascal. He said this. Now, first of all, you'll notice it's going to be a hypothetical premise. He says, if God exists, and of course the then is implied, okay? So remember, if you have an if statement, the then is usually implied or really has to be, okay? So if God exists, then I have everything to gain. And, now here comes a second hypothetical, and if God does not exist, then I have nothing to lose. Okay? Now, this is actually the major premise, and I highlighted it red. So those are two hypotheticals. Now he goes to the disjunctive. So, either God exists, or he does not exist. Now, what did he do here? Let me just point out what he did. He, notice he took one alternate, I'm sorry, uh, one antecedent, and he put it in the alternate. Okay, either God exists, he took that antecedent, and he put it there. Or, now here's the disjunctive, right? Or, he does not exist, he just simply took the other antecedent. You see that? Okay, and therefore he comprised a disjunctive. And this is the minor premise, so I have that underlined. Now here comes the conclusion. Therefore, I have either everything to gain... Right? Another disjunctive, or nothing to lose. Okay? So again, four premises. The, what's highlighted in red is the major premise. The underlined portion is the minor premise. And this is the conclusion, the therefore. Okay? Now let me show it to you, excuse me, in symbolic language. And I used uh, E. If God exists, then I have everything to gain. And here's the and symbol, the little dot there. And if God does not exist, then I have nothing to lose. Okay? So, either God exists or he doesn't exist. And therefore, either I have everything to gain or... And again, the V, I'm sorry, the V is an or symbol. I didn't show you that last time. So the V is just or. So either God exists or he doesn't exist. Therefore, either I have everything to gain or nothing to lose. Okay? 
So again, what you can see is we actually have it in three steps again, just like we have all other syllogisms. So you can see the first premise is simply two hypothetical syllogisms back to back. It's this one and this one. And then we just merely took, affirmed the antecedent, and we were left in the therefore with the consequent. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go real slow again because we've got plenty of time. I'm going to put up the possible, uh, and I'm going I'm to go through it again, fallacies. The fallacies are the same as a hypothetical syllogism, namely denying the antecedent or affirming the consequent. Okay. Now, let's focus you guys on the portion that's red because that's our major premise. Everything's focused off of there. Again, we have two hypothetical statements. If God exists, that's the antecedent, right? And notice that is represented by the E, right? The E here or the not E down here is if God does not exist. So do you guys see that this is an antecedent and this is an antecedent? Is everybody clear on that? Those are the if parts of the hypothetical, right? So what did we do in step two in the symbolic area? We affirmed both of these things. Do you see? We affirmed both antecedents. And remember, if you affirm an antecedent in a hypothetical, you're okay. It's if you try to deny one, right? Then we'd have a fallacy. But, so in other words, we're just dealing with two antecedents, that's all. So we have to affirm both of them, okay? Or the other option is we can deny both consequence. Okay, does that make sense? But what, what did we do? In, in, well, not me, Pascal, okay? Pascal affirmed both antecedents. So it's all, you're just dealing with two things. Two antecedents, two consequence. He affirmed both antecedents, and therefore the consequence followed. Does that make sense? Okay? So you're just dealing with two antecedents, that's all, or two consequence. All right? Now, that was exciting, huh? Now, let me show you how to defeat a dilemma, and I'm going to give you another dilemma, so we're going to work on this a little bit. But I want to talk about how to avoid a dilemma. Now, it's interesting. I always like this because I like, for some reason, I like animals. I know nothing about them, but I like animals. Now, here you have a bull, and what um, these philosophers do is they like to pretend if you're in a dilemma that you're stuck on the horns of a dilemma. Okay, so think of this horn is God exists or God does not exist. Okay, or you could say, you know, either I have everything to gain or nothing to lose. So that is the dilemma that we're looking at right now. Now, how would you get out of such a dilemma? Well, there's three ways. The first way is called going between the horns. And the way we go, we're going right up the middle here, right? We're, we're, we're coming up with what's called a third option. We're saying it's not either this or that. It's actually a third way. So what we're going to do is you're going to be the one who comes up with a third option not listed in the minor premise. Now, I'm going to pull a faux pas here, and I'm going to back up my PowerPoint. I want to just show you this minor premise. Remember, the minor premise is what I had underlined here, the, either, the first disjunctive, either God exists or he does not exist, Right? So the point being is, what you're going to do is you're going to come up with a third option not listed in there. You're going to say, no, that's not the only two options. There's another one. Okay? But now if you can't do that, there's, there's another thing you can do. There's two more things. The second thing you can try to do is take the dilemma by the horns. And what you do here is you take issue with the major premise itself. Maybe the, both, uh, the if and the then propositions aren't really true. Uh, do both consequences really flow from their antecedents? So now what you're doing is you're taking issue with, remember what I had highlighted red? That was the major premise. It was two hypotheticals, if this, then that, and if this, then that. Well, maybe those aren't necessarily true. Maybe they don't necessarily follow. Okay? 
So somebody maybe wants to take issue with that. All right? Does that make sense? Now, the only other way out of a dilemma is, and I like this, it's a counter dilemma. It's kind of saying, I won't answer you, but you try to handle this one. Okay? And what you're trying to do is you're trying to shed light that that's not the only way of thinking about it. You can offer your own dilemma. Now, ideally, you're going to be using the same terms and you're just going to try to show a different conclusion. The reason why is if you use completely different terms, then you're really not you're comparing apples to oranges. You're, you're doing a category change. You're basically, and we'll, follow, we'll talk about this next week, you're doing a red herring. You're just changing the topic. Okay, so you've got to kind of stay on topic, but you can maybe counter with another dilemma. Now, I'm going to show you how user-friendly this is because we all witness in here. And I know my friend Jeff, he witnesses a lot. Okay, he, he preaches the gospel a lot. And this is something that we're actually doing when we're presenting the gospel. Do you realize we're actually putting people in a dilemma? Let me show you how. This is something I thought of at about 1 o'clock in the morning. And I got up, I thought, I better write that down. That's pretty good. Okay, so think about this. What we're really saying to people when we're witnessing to them is if you trust in Christ, then you will go to heaven. And if you don't trust Christ, then you will go to hell. That's called the straightforward approach, right? That's not the seeker-sensitive version. <laughs> that's being right up front about it. Okay, that's our major premise. So now here, those are both hypotheticals. Here we come to a disjunct of the minor premise. But either you trust in Christ or you don't, right? It's that simple. It's either this or that. So therefore, either you go to heaven or you go to hell. Okay, now, what we can do is once we know what we're putting forward to the lost, we can try to think about how are they going to counter that? Okay. In other words, now we're focusing our thoughts and our attention on how is my opponent on the street or wherever we are going to try to counter this? Well, let's go through the options. So let's say they try to go between the horns on you. In other words, they try to come up with a third option not listed in the, in the minor premise. Well, now, what other options really are there? You either trust in Christ or you don't, right? Law of excluded middle. You're trusting in Christ or you're not. How are you sort of trusting? That's not an option. So number one is out. So really, in my opinion, the only option that they have is that they're going to take the dilemma by the horns. And what the unbeliever is going to try to do is they're going to have to take issue with your major premise. And the premise is, if you trust in Christ, then you will go to heaven. And if you don't trust in Christ, then you go to hell. So what where did you, by the way, get that information? How do we know that? Well, from the Bible. Okay? So what's really the only thing that an unbeliever can do? They can either say, the Bible isn't authoritative. In other words, it's not the word of God or there is no God to have a Bible be authoritative of. Okay, you see what I'm saying? So they're either going to have to deny the Bible or they're going to have to pervert what's in the Bible. That's the only thing they can do, right? And so therefore, when we're into the apologetics task, if we know what our opponent is going to do, let's say we know they're a theist. Well, now we know they're just going to try to pervert the Bible. Maybe they're into Catholicism. And they say, well, actually, there's another, you know, it's not necessarily that if you, trust in, if you don't trust in Christ, you go to hell, you have purgatory too. And you say, well, where did you get that? And they say, well, the book of Maccabees. Well, now what's the issue? Well, now they have a different Bible, okay? It's a different canon. So now we have to argue about what the canon is, okay? Well, let's say we just solve that. Now they pervert the scriptures you have. So do you see, it helps you focus on what is the debate going to be. And we can use dilemmas to do that, Okay. Now, to be honest with you, I think, so here's the thing. In the apologetic task, this focuses, what we're going to do is we're going to first of all prove that God exists. And then we're going to prove, in fact, that God has revealed himself in the Bible. And what we're going to do is we're going to say that the Bible is, in fact, inerrant and inspired. Okay, without error. And we're going to prove it. So now, the only thing left that people can do is to try to take issue with our interpretation. And that's why you take hermeneutics, right? That's beyond the scope of this class. Okay. All right.
So I'm off the hook there. So now let me give you a famous dilemma here. Oops, my thing's not working. There we go. And I'm going to show you Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell, again, a famous atheist. He died in 1970. And he put forward a dilemma. And what's so funny, and what, it's actually fun, you guys, is the more I study these things, the more you realize that these atheists really don't have a case. In fact, Bertrand Russell's dilemma, it was invalid. I looked at it, and he had a, what did he do? He affirmed the consequent, and I had to fix it for him. And I thought, oh, for crying out loud, that's the best you got? You know? So it's, it's very reassuring. So Bertrand Russell, this is the type of uh, dilemma that he tried to pose to Christians. He said this, If all things are caused, then so is God, since he has being. Okay? And then he reasoned, and again, this is another hypothetical, and if all things are not caused, then neither is the world. So, either all things are caused or all things are not caused. Therefore, either God is caused or not even the world was caused. Okay? Pretty deep, huh? <laughs> all right, so let's put it up in symbolic language. So again, I just, these are variables that I chose, but you can choose anything, you, anything that works for you. I said, okay, all things, um, if all things are caused, then um, so is God. Okay? And if all things are not caused, then neither is the world. Okay? And then now here comes the disjunctive. So either all things are caused or they're not caused, and therefore either... God is caused or the world is not caused. All right? Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how would we defeat this dilemma. And what I would do is I recommend this, is that we take issue with his major premise. We're going to take this dilemma by the horns. Now, does anybody see in the major premise, remember those are the two hypothetical statements in the very beginning, does anybody see an issue with his major premise? What could we take issue with there in the major premise, we could say that uh, all things are not caused. Yes, right. What has he done? He is engaged, and we're going to find. We're going to talk a lot about this next week. He's engaged in something called equivocation. He has equivocated on the definition of the law of causality, hasn't he? He's changed it, okay, and he's trying to pull a sneaky one on us, right? So that's exactly what he's done. Russell has misunderstood the law of causality. Look at what, what he pointed out here is that Russell is saying if all things are caused, then, well, wait a minute, that antecedent, that part of the if, is not true. Because the law of causality doesn't say all things have a cause. It merely says all effects have a cause. And by definition, God is not an effect. He's the uncaused causer. So therefore, he's wrong right up front in his major premise. So you and I took that bull by the horns and we, we wrestled him down. We, we defeated his dilemma right there. We said, no, you've got the, you've got the law of causality all wrong. You, you've, you don't understand it. Okay, so either he doesn't understand it. We'll give you another disjunctive. Either Bertrand Russell doesn't understand it or he was trying to pull a fast one, right? Okay, so there, we just defeated his dilemma. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pose, now remember, we already defeated it, but I'm going to pose another dilemma. And this counter dilemma is a dilemma that is designed to focus what the debate is about when we're debating with atheists. What we want them to see is that there are only two possibilities because then we're going to kick one of the possibilities out 
And we're going to say the only option left is there's God. Okay? So this is the counter dilemma that I would counter with. If the universe was eternal, then you would not need a creator. Okay? By the way, I hope this is valid. I didn't really... <laughs> probably should have looked at it more carefully. And if the universe was not eternal, then you would need a creator. Okay? So that's the second uh, hypothetical. Now here comes the minor premise. So either the universe is eternal or it's not eternal. Right? So we just so what did we do there? I just affirmed both antecedents, didn't I? So therefore, either you don't need a creator or you need a creator. So let's look at it again in symbolic language. If the universe is eternal, then you don't need a creator. And if the universe is not eternal, then you do need a creator. So either the universe is eternal, or, remember, or symbol, it's not eternal. Therefore, either you need a creator, or I'm sorry, you don't need a creator or you need a creator. Correct? All right? So now what we've done, you guys, is we've boiled down what the debate is about. The debate is actually about two options. And the option is either the universe is eternal or it's not. Because if the universe isn't eternal, then we have to have an eternal creator, right? So all we have to argue about with the atheists is whether or not the universe is eternal. It's very simple. And this keeps it on track. And it also allows us to see where they might try to attack it. Now, where would they try to attack this dilemma? Well, let's take a look at the minor premise. Again, either the universe is eternal or it's not eternal. Remember, this is going between the horns. Well, is that going to work out for him? Either it's eternal or it's not. So that's the law of excluded middle, so they can't go anywhere on that. Well, now maybe they'll take, try to take issue with the major premise. Now, here's where it gets fun, and we're going to talk about this week six, but what they'll end up trying to do is to say that something can self-create itself, okay? which is what? It's a, it's, it violates the law of causality. And we say, no, 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 you know, we, we can kick that to the curb right away. A priori, we can rule that out. But what they're going to do, and I'll show you week six, they're going to dress it up in fancy language. They're going to dress it up with words like chance or they'll try to use um, quantum physics. Bob knows this one really well. They'll try to dress it up in fancy ways trying to claim that something can self-create itself. Okay, So that's the only thing they can try to do and we're going to defeat it. So let me show you what I did. I'm just going to show you kind of in a pictorial manner what we've done here. Okay, So now forget about the logic and disjunctives and hypotheticals, this and that. I'm just going to show you a picture and I like pictures, okay? So think about it. All we've done is we said, hey, there's either an eternal creator or there's an eternal universe. Now, why is it either that or that? What about another option? What about something self-creating itself, right? Well, think about this, you guys. If there ever was a time that there was nothing, there would be nothing now. Because something can't not exist, then exist at the same time to put itself in existence. It violates the law of causality and the law of non-contradiction, Okay. So either the universe is eternal or we have an eternal creator. Now, this is what we're putting them in, in the quandary. It's either that or that. Now, they're going to, come up with, try, they're going to try to come up with two different options. They're going to say either everything's an illusion. To be honest with you, I've never heard this one, but they could claim that. Everything doesn't actually exist. Week six, I'll show you how to defeat that. And if anybody was at the Sunday school, I don't know how long ago I did defeat it, but we'll do it again. And the only other option that I've ever heard is that they'll say the universe self-created itself. And again, they'll come up with fancy ways of saying it. The chance did it. And you say, well, boy, that, where have you seen a piece of chance that could do that? Does chance have being? Um, so we'll talk about that. But the point is, what I'm going to show you is both of these options are what? 
They're logically impossible. And we can rule them out using deduction. Now that is why deduction is so powerful, because deduction yields what kind of conclusions? Necessary ones, doesn't it? And therefore we say, aha, it's necessary conclusions because it's logic, it's deductive logic. Therefore, there's only two options. It's either the eternal creator or the eternal universe. That's all we have to argue about. Then we're going to pull out science. We're going to pull out the second law of thermodynamics. We're going to show them the motion of the galaxies, the radiation echo. We're going to show them all this stuff that demonstrates beyond a shadow of a doubt that, in fact, the universe cannot be eternal. And the only thing that they're left with is the possibility that there is an eternal creator. Now, the beautiful thing about this, you guys, is what we've done is we've taken the kickstand out from the atheist. We've taken the foundation that they're resting their whole worldview on, and we've kicked it to the curb. And they say, wow, maybe there is a God. And then we can say, if there is in fact a God, is it reasonable that he may have revealed himself? And that's when we get to pull out the Bible. Okay? Because that's the ultimate goal. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, right? Romans 10:17. Think about Paul. I was thinking about this when we were studying the other day in Sunday school in 2 Corinthians 10. Now, it's a little out of context, but think of what Paul says 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Well, that's exactly what we're doing in these arguments. You see, friends, God uses good thinking. Satan uses bad thinking. I am a Calvinist through and through. I believe that the only way anybody comes to faith is that the Holy Spirit regenerates so that they may perceive and receive the gospel. But realize God uses means. And means, part of the means, for instance, in Romans 10, Paul says that blessed are the feet of those who bring good tidings, right? In other words, God uses preachers, doesn't he? Right? He uses the word of God. He uses means. And therefore, what we're going to see is that having good arguments are the means by which we can take somebody from an atheistic worldview. We're going to, and, and mind you, in an atheistic worldview, there is no room for what? The miraculous. If somebody's in an atheistic worldview and you say, well, I you know, believe in the resurrection, and they say, well, that's not possible. No, no resurrection is possible. Or you say, hey, you're a sinner. You're, you're a sinner, right? You're sinning before a holy God. They don't believe that there's a God that they're even sinning against. In my experience, sadly, is that in a lot of the colleges, 80 to 90% of the students are atheists. They've bought into this fabrication. In, and I'm sorry, I'm going to use the term, these fools who claim that nothing can do something. I've run into them. And they'll dress it up in fancy terms. And the masses will follow them, believing that nothing can do something. Okay? Well, that's like believing in pixie dust. Yet the kids follow them. So what we need to do is get our A game out and say, no, this is logically impossible. And kick atheism to the curb and then be able to pull out our scriptures. Because again, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And that's our goal. So week six, it's going to be fun. We're going to get into a lot of science. Because remember, I'm going to go through these issues again. But at the end of the day, all we have to do is show that the universe isn't eternal. If we do that, we win. And that's rather a simple matter, actually. Okay? So, with that, we've got plenty of time. And actually, Bob had an example of a dilemma, too, that he was going to bring up. Tell him about that one that's in your book about Doug Paget and the dilemma, how you reasoned with him in that dilemma. Okay. Or it was a disjunctive. Actually, I had a series of arguments, but I'll just boil it down. Yeah. In one chapter of my book, I took up, again, the debate with Paget, where he accused me of being... A binary reductionist. <laughs> that's the worst. Okay. And, 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 <laughs> and that's what he called me. And, and all I had done was, to, in my slides of the opening presentation, was use disjunctive syllogisms. 
Yeah. And, I, and that's what he calls binary reductionism. So what he's trying to say is there's a third option, and I said there's only two. Yeah. All right. So I said either God determines how we come to God or man determines how we come to God. That was one of my arguments. And then I, I worked it from there and, and came to the conclusion that the only biblical or reasonable thing is that God would tell us how we come to God. And, and that the Bible claimed that. Because yeah, there's no third option. There's no third option. Well, no. so he's, he called it binary reductionism. So I took <laughs> the thing back up on my book and just started using some logic to say uh, what he said was that there must be a third option. Well, let's look at the possible third option. So I'm saying either God or man. Now, what could be a possible third option? Well, it would have to be some sort of a per, be, being with personality and rationality. Because the only things, the only things in the universe that can determine pathways have to be intelligent beings with personality. Okay, so what other intelligent beings in the universe are there with personality? Well, you have Satan, demons, fallen angels, if there are actually any different demons, and holy angels. Those are the only other beings besides God and man that would be even around to determine a pathway. Well, let's see if any of those could be the third option. That way you can defeat my disjunctive right. syllogism, right? right? Well, how about Satan? Is Satan going to determine our pathway to God in a saving way? Well, no, his whole job is to make sure we go to hell. So we can't, uh, Satan is not going to tell man how to get to God in a saving way. What about the demons or fallen angels? Well, they're doing Satan's bidding, so they're on the same team, and they're not going to get us to God. So the only other option would be holy angels, and the holy angels are doing God's bidding. So if, if, like it says in Hebrews, the Old Testament um, law in Sinai was mediated through angels, the New Testament through Christ, you still have God's bidding being done. So if God used angels to do it or he did it directly himself, either way, God determined the pathway. So we're back to the two options, either God or man. Yeah. Paget has not defeated my disjunctive right. syllogism. He yeah. just threw a bunch of pixie dust up in the air <laughs> to, yeah. to, to confuse everybody That's and right. really didn't have a valid argument. Yeah, in fact, next week we're going to talk about informal fallacies. And he pulled one off on you in the debate. And the only thing he could do was to try to throw complex jargon at people. So in other words... When he says, oh, you're just a binary reductionist, the average person in the audience goes, wow, that's deep. wonder what that is. Okay, now they have no idea what that is, and he's proved nothing. But it sounds good, so he, what has he done is he's deflected away from what he can't get out of, which is the disjunctive that Bob put him in. So he didn't do anything other than throw up, and sometimes it's called a red herring, where you have no case. And so you just say, oh, look at the dog, you know, and you just, you just try to distract somebody. So, yeah. 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 And do you want me so. to bring up my concern about whether Oh, I yeah, yeah. Right. Bring up your, uh, your right. challenge to Geisler. Yeah. This, this is the book, and this is the, that we're using, and I studied this at seminary, and it's a really good book. But, and Eric was following the book when he put up yeah. yep. the, pos- the thing where affirming one or the other of, of an either or is not valid. I'm disagreeing with that. And the reason I'm disagreeing with it, and I think Geisler book is wrong, is that in the English language, saying either or already implies that both and is not true. I think it's implied in the statement 
that both and is not true. Both and is another kind of statement they have in that book as well. Yeah, as well. that's right. Yeah. Okay, so if you stated either or, I think it's already assumed that both and is not true. So I think that that's not valid. In other words, if you say either or and you can affirm one, then you deny the other. If you deny one, you affirm the other. Let's, you know what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go backwards here. Let's just look at one example. Right here. Yeah, let's think about this one here. So let's just think it out here. Okay, so either Jesus is the way of salvation or there are other ways. So, yeah, right. So let's say we affirm one, there are other ways. Yeah, in fact, um, let me just mention something. You notice, you guys, I didn't put Jesus is the only way. Okay, because I thought that would do the same thing as a biconditional if and only if. You see what I'm saying? In other words, let's say I put in here Jesus is a way of salvation or there are other ways. Because, in other words, what I'm saying here is the way... Uh, yeah, then, then you can say both and. Yeah, but the seems to imply that there's... He's just, that's one, it's either Jesus is the way or there are other ways. So you're right. Then it's, it would seem if you're affirming there are other ways then Jesus can't be the way, which would imply the only way. Right, but the other statement is worthless because if you say, yeah. if Jesus, either Jesus is a way or there are other ways, the a oh, way right. implies, implies there are other ways. ways. Right. So I, I'm standing <laughs> yes, by my good. critique yeah. that Geisler is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call that Geisler, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I will call, um, I'll tell you what, I'll do some homework, you guys. I'm going to call one of the seminaries and talk to one of the logic professors and I will ask them, and maybe they have something that they can shed light on, why would it be that if you affirm one of the alternates, that it doesn't necessarily negate the other one? Yeah, or yeah. does it either or imply that it's one or the other and not both, just right. by the statement itself? Right. Okay, so we'll look into it. Oh, by the way, let me just, by the, let's take questions first, but I have some answers here to the homework, and I could take time, and I can do that after class, but let's take some questions. Does anybody have anything about Anything that we've gone over, or even this idea about proving God to atheists. Sorry, I'm just trying to get to the homework where we were. If anybody wants, there we go. Does anybody have any questions about proving the existence of God or logic in general? Any anything revolutionary they had? Or so uh, what you're saying is that the key to this is proving whether or not the universe is eternal. Yeah, and then it, everything follows from that. Once you decide whether it is or it or it is not, yeah, and that uh, you're thinking on the universe, and the universe is something everyone can see, yeah, and everyone has to admit because they deal in it and touch it and feel it and see it and yeah. move in it. Yeah. Um, so from that one point, then all the rest of this flows. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and I'll tell you why. I've even gotten in debates with a nephew of mine who tries to say, well, maybe it really isn't a universe. Maybe it's a multiverse. Well, the problem with that is we don't see anything. Now, remember, we're using induction. We're using observation. And everything that we've observed shows that everything is governed by universal laws. So, in a sense, he's engaged in special pleading. In other words, he doesn't really have a case. He doesn't have anything, any evidence. It's basically like saying, well, maybe there's a pink bunny out there somewhere that did something. Because that, that's all he has, you see. He's imagining things, okay? Because, again, everything that we've observed, I'm, see, now I'm the one that's going by observations, and I'm putting the atheist on the defensive. I'm saying, well, wait a minute. I thought you guys were the scientific ones. And, and by the way, you guys, this is what really irks me. I'm sorry, I don't mean to go on a tirade, but... 
you just brought it out, the worst in me. <laughs> as far as atheists, no, I mean in a good way. What, what kills me about atheists is, remember, they believe that there's a separation between um, the state and, how do they say, church and state, right? Well, think about church. Uh, Bob would affirm this. Church in Greek, ekklesia, means the assembly. Now, of course, we know when we talk about church, we're talking about the assembly of believers, right, of Jesus Christ. But think about this. You and I believe in an eternal God. They believe in an eternal universe. Now, who has more evidence? I can show them using evidence that the universe can't be eternal. So now what do they have to do is they have to appeal, well, maybe there's nothing that can do something. Well, wait a minute. That's more faith than I have. I'm basing my faith on evidence. So my point is, is why are my views excluded from the public square and called, you know, that separation between church and state? What about their church? They have an assembly of believers, and they're believing in something far more ridiculous than I am. I'm the one who's being consistent with the laws of thermodynamics. I'm the one who's being rational. They're not, you see? So we can start throwing it off and say, wait a minute, why are we being excluded from the public square? R.C. Sproul one time said, he says, Christians are tolerated and accepted, our views are, as long as we stay on the range, or what he referred to the reservation. Okay? And as soon as we take our views into the public square, they want to try to separate it. But what you and I can do is we can put them on the defensive and say, wait a minute, it's your views that are in fact um, irrational. I'm going by the evidence. So that's, yeah. I'll get to you, Jeff. I want to comment on something you, he said because it's a perfect example of what yeah. we're doing. Here's another way to state that using a disjunctive syllogism. Either something eternal exists or something not eternal came forth out of nothing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, which That's a, that's yeah. a disjunctive syllogism. And I don't think they can defeat it based no. on causality and other things that we don't Yeah, they, they just can't do it. They, they cannot defeat that. So then they're forced to uh, affirm the absurdity that something not eternal came forth out of nothing. That's right. And the law of causality is out the window. Out the window. In fact, Bob, um, my friend and I, Jeff, um, he and I were debating with a guy who was an atheist, and he did exactly that. He tried to claim that the causality didn't actually exist. That the, you and I as Christians are just making that law up. Okay? <laughs> so, well, uh, they've been talking about that since the time of Aristotle. I, don't I know. know. Christians thought it up. Well, think about this, you guys. If, and truly, the law of causality doesn't exist, then science doesn't exist. Because science is based on observation, which is based on the law of non-contradiction, the law of causality. What if I said, you know, um, the reason why this went down, his, his Wendy's drink, is either Ben drank it or nothing did it. You know, so you can always describe nothing. You know, well, either my tire went flat because it had a nail in it, or of course, maybe nothing did it. Well, there's always, see, nothing is not a cause. Okay, so anyway, it's irrational, and, and we can jettison that idea. All right? I was yeah. just going to throw out, too, that when you're talking yeah. to a, a typical atheist and you start defining what the term atheist is, and you say, so let me understand, so you absolutely are certain that there is no God. Oh. And when they do that, they say, well, I'm not, I'm not 100% certain. Okay. So would you say you're an agnostic, that you're not sure yet, you haven't been shown evidence? If you can, uh, you can move them quickly from atheist to agnostic. Wow. And if you can do that, then you say, so you're just not sure. So let me show you some evidence that you may not have seen yet or heard yet. Well said, Jeff. I love that. Yeah, you can move them a whole category over. I've actually um, seen that happen in a formal debate setting yeah. where um, 
William Lane Craig, who was really one of the more yeah. brilliant Christian apologists. I don't agree with his theology, but he's a great apologist, a great guy. You can learn from him. Wow. He was debating a fairly high-level intelligent professor atheist some years ago, and I was listening to it on the radio. And he was using this argument that we're doing right now, uh, Craig was. Either something eternal exists or something not eternal came forth out of nothing. Then he proves that the universe is not eternal. And so, therefore, the universe has to have some eternal cause. That's right. and, he, and he kept pounding the atheist, and finally the atheist says, well, maybe there is some God out there, but it may, might not be the one you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of a sudden, the atheist is not an atheist. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good point. In fact, um, yeah, that's exactly that. In the, if anybody saw um, the Ben Stein movie, what was it called? Expelled. Expelled, there you go. Yeah, that's what he did. Think about this. Okay, we have the dilemma. It's either the eternal creator or the eternal universe, sometimes I've heard this played out. The atheist will say, well, maybe the eternal creator is really a spaghetti monster, a flying spaghetti monster. Remember, that's what that guy said to us. Well, think about this. The only problem with saying that is he still has to be a sufficient cause for the beginning of the universe. So when we start looking at a sufficient cause, because remember, the law of causality says every effect must have a sufficient cause. Now, when we start applying that to this, who this eternal creator would be, we start to put meat and bones on what the spaghetti monster would be, right? First of all, we know that the spaghetti monster has to be eternal, and it would have to be powerful enough to create all things, and intelligent enough, and all of a sudden the spaghetti monster starts to change into the God that we know, in fact, is revealed according to Romans 1.20. You see? Isn't that beautiful? So, in other words, we, can, we don't even let him get there, or, you know, or stay there. We say, well, wait a minute, you know? So, anyway, do, do you see how that works? So, we don't let him pull out the fuzzy bunny that created all things or anything like that. We can tell him, no, it has to be a creator sufficient for doing these things. Okay? So, yeah. Um, anything else? If anybody wants to stay, I just, um, I know, I don't want to keep you guys open too late here, but if anybody wants to go over a few of the work, the homework problems, does anybody want to do that? Because I'd hate to have you do homework and then not go over it if you wanted to. Oh, yeah, very well, yeah, very good. This is the book that I've been using, and I used it in seminary. It's called Come Let Us Reason. It's by Norman Geisler and Ronald Brooks. Okay, And I think you probably get it on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. It's probably pretty cheap, I would imagine. It's $15, I think. And um, again, if, if I were you, and let's say you're very interested in the categorical syllogisms, you can sit down with this book. I think if you read it and you went through the problems, I think you'd get it. Okay, It just takes time. I threw way too much at you last week. It was just overwhelming. Okay, I threw like four weeks of logic at you in one night, and it was. And so don't don't feel bad. So anyway, if you want to hone in on that, you can pick this book up. And also, feel free to call me. By the way, I I love talking about this stuff, and it, my wife doesn't, so it'll give me somebody to talk to. <laughs> so <laughs> so anyway, feel free. I I don't mind. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, my mom doesn't either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. So do you guys, should we do a few problems? Should we go over a few? Oh, we just got two minutes? Well, i tell you what. If you, if you have any issues, just, you can call me. But does everybody, everybody has the answers in their notes, correct? Okay. And just come up to me as I'm packing up. I can help you out with maybe a problem or two, too. So anyway, you guys, great night. Next week is um, in, uh, informal logic, and we're going to move on to informal fallacy. So real fun. And then we're on to regular apologetics. So.